Hello and welcome to the first ever Tea Break Club podcast. Now, this is something that I've wanted to do for a really long time and I finally got around to doing it and not for the reason that I first expected. At first, I wanted something to naturally replace the daily and weekly vlog that I used to do and the podcast seemed like the natural way to do it. Now, this first episode that you're about to hear is probably going to be a little bit different to what the other episodes will be like. And you'll learn what the other episodes are like when they appear, when I release them. But this first episode has come from me basically giving up on editing a documentary. Normally, when I bring out an album or a single, I will create something to tell the story behind it. And in this case... I decided to go, well, overboard, really. I've kind of really overdone it. And I watched the Olivia Rodrigo documentary on Disney Plus, And I thought, I could make a documentary like this about my album, Jeff, the self-titled album that I released a few months ago. I could break down the songs and say, this is how I wrote it. This is why I wrote it. And I could play a version of the songs. And it all sounded fantastic. And... When it came down to actually doing it, I realised that that was not going to happen with one person filming it and one person editing it, particularly in my spare time. So I set out with the best intentions and it hasn't quite come together in the way that I expected it to. But I did start by filming on a day earlier this year with my dad and I invited my dad over to have a conversation with me on camera about the album. And I gave him a track list. I didn't play him any of the songs. And I just asked him to talk to me about the album and how I'd made it, why I'd made it, and why I'd chosen those songs for the album. And what you're about to hear is that conversation. I have tried over the last few months to edit this into a documentary and it just hasn't come together how I expected. But these conversations, not only are they very special to me because it's my dad, but hopefully this gives you an idea as to why I made the self-titled album Jeff and the stories behind some of the songs. Some of the songs that I know you'll have um, maybe heard before, some of the ones that are new on this album. But hopefully this first episode, this flagship episode of the Tea Break Club podcast gives you an insight into how I wrote this album and the stories behind it. So without further ado, I will let my dad and myself take over. Enjoy. First question is, why make this album? Why have you made this Isn't album? the first question, how are you? Oh, is it? How are you? Oh, oh okay. Good first morning, Dad. Good morning. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. How are Good. you? Good. I'm great, thank you. So what are we doing here today? We're going to talk, aren't we? We're going to talk about some music, though. Okay, we're going to talk about some music. That's great. Yeah. I mean, you've been writing music a long time. I know yeah, that. Yeah, you know so that, I know, yeah. yes, I've been. And, and one of the things that's amazing about your music, it's, it's in my life, it's that moment. I know you're up there, historically, when you lived at with us, yeah. you were writing this music upstairs. And one of the things mm. that was always brilliant and always an excitement, although we heard little stabs of things, we never quite knew what was 
going to come out of that, that the alchemy that was happening upstairs. That do you feel the art. same thing about this then? Do you not of really? course I do, because yeah. I, partly because I'm I'm I'm, exci- I'm always excited about what's what I'm going to hear, mm. and I'm always moved by your music because I can I I think because of that connection I know there's going to be something in it. Yeah, that's gonna go. Wow, that's great, and uh, that that expert, that visceral experience that Mum and I often will share. We'll just sit there, and I will be moved as I am quite often moved to tears when I'm, I, I hear your stuff. So yeah. I'm really excited about knowing about this particular album. I mean, you you've given me a listing of some of the album, some of the some of the names of the songs and I recognise one or two of them because yeah. historically they're kind of embedded in mm. in your history. So Adam said that to me once. He said that I was very lucky that I was able to write songs because they were like points in my life, like photographs. He said most people have photo albums if they've got the kind of parents who take photos when you go on holiday or when you go to events. It's the kind of thing where at the time you're like, don't do that. Please stop taking pictures of me. But like when you you know you got something to look back on, whereas actually there are quite a few songs on this little collection um, that are quite nostalgic. They mm. do uh, they do remind me of a particular period of my life. Why why are you making this album? Mm. Yeah, what what I mean I know is that when you made a song in seven days, that were, I, I kind of know why you were doing that. But why are you making this album? So the idea for this album started really in lockdown. And bizarrely, I lost all of my inspiration. I think a lot of other musicians saw it as an opportunity to reflect and go in and and do different things. Like, I was always really impressed that Taylor Swift brought out that album, that I'm Mm. sure you know as well, Mm. Folklore, that that was created during lockdown. Because lockdown totally changed my priorities. Uh, it It was about getting fit. Uh, it was about, I don't know, I guess survival instinct kind of kicked in because it was just mm-hmm. the four of us in that house. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wasn't writing any music. The only song that I'd written uh, during that time was uh, Rework It Out. That was the only song that I wrote in 2020, apart from stuff that I'd started in 2019. Um, and it took me a long time to pick up the pen and start doing it again. But what I was doing was a lot of playing. And I'm sure you remember there were little instances of me coming and playing with Lizzie, there was a point where I would never ever done it before and I came with the acoustic guitar and we started playing and mm. I should have known better. Mm. Um, mm. And uh, that was quite funny. Mm. And it was about that, it was about what can I do on my own? I was playing lots of things and putting them on social media and stuff like that. Mm. And uh, I liked the rawness of it. Mm. A lot mm. of my stuff, as you know, I love overtracking, I love layering stuff up. but. Even though I wasn't writing, I fell in love with the simplicity mm. of making things real and going, okay, my voice doesn't sound that great on that, and okay, I might have hit a couple of bum notes there, but I'm making some music. So I thought, why don't I do that with a collection of my songs that I'm proudest of, if mm. you like, mm. and turn that into an album? Mm. So, like you say, there are quite a few songs on there you'll probably recognise, but it's taking it back to its core elements, taking mm. it back to what is the most important thing, to the raw, honest aspect of the music, which, let's be honest, is missing from quite a bit of music right now. There isn't a huge amount of honesty in it, and I thought, well, okay, if I can put something out that feels honest to me, 
then that's a reflection of what I think music is about. That's why I make music anyway. I mean, we were talking earlier about Peter Gabriel yeah. making So, yeah. and how, how that contrasts with what you seem to be doing here. He seemed to spend ages and ages and ages on like one song and, and almost like overproducing it. I know he could end up with a fantastic record, but mm. why you mentioned stripping it back and it's almost like the antithesis of that, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's this idea of good enough is good enough. I think I've spent years and years trying to perfect things uh, and when I've put them out, mm. they haven't felt any better than some of the stuff I was taking as long to film as it was to play, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. So a lot of stuff that I was putting on social media, I was like, right, actually, well, I'm just as satisfied as, with that as I am with... Uh, take train of thought on song in seven days there's orchestration there's two acoustic guitar parts there's a bass part there's a guitar solo there's like four distinct sections lots mm. of backing vocals mm. and i like that song mm. but i can't honestly say that i'm prouder of that than i am say a song like alexa mm. which is me sat at a piano mm. with a microphone playing it from end to end there is nothing else yes yeah i mean this particular album is finished but I'm already writing something else I've already got two songs in the can possibly mm. three more songs new ones mm. ready to go yes it's just that they don't suit the aesthetic of this no album they don't work they are something a bit different mm. so it, the creativity at the moment is probably it, it's much better than it was in lockdown so I mean that's something that I, I'm aware of as well you've got this body of work that's not just songs you've got song musicals and all sorts of mm. things that you've got and, and I'm, I, that'll be fascinating as we go through i mean you've picked three six you pick eight songs yeah that's three, right you picked eight it. songs but i'd be curious as we go through why you know why you've picked these and I, I, in a way i just want to really nail this one um why now for this album why are you doing it now i think i think in a way you've skirted around that by saying well this is the time just to Mm. Uh, we're in, we'll come out of lockdown, but what? What? Why now? Why, why now? now? Because we've come out of lockdown, like you say. Because I have more stuff that I want to do as well, and this album feels like a crucial step to me. But also because I want to put something truthful out. Mm. I want to be honest with the music and. Is that something that happens every day in the music industry at the moment? Probably not. An old favourite of mine, because it's one of your early songs, I mean, it's, it's unpredictable. So about that particular song because it's it i mean that's even had it's had radio airplay hasn't it as well yeah. so let's go back because i i know a little bit about but why did you write that why did you write unpredictable so unpredictable unbelievable in its full name which we shortened to unpredictable we made it into the usual ones version of it was a song that was written as a b-side and i always really? find this so funny yeah because at the time as a band, I can't remember what we were called at that point because we were called about 19 different things. We were either called Sound of Silence, we were either called Local Heroes, I think it might have been Local Heroes era. We were about 15, I think. 
And we were just getting to the point where we were trying to get the covers out of our set as a band. And we were just trying to write originals to fill those gaps. And my perception at the time with Unpredictable Unbelievable was that we just need another song to fill the set. That we got these singles, songs like Think About It and um, Tell Me It's Not True and all that kind of stuff. Uh, no, Tell Me That It's True, that's what it was called. Not the song from Blood Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't write that. Um, and there was this perception that we needed to fill the time. And you probably, I don't know if you do remember the date, but I can remember the date it was written. I know that it was written probably in 2007 and we went to Scarborough with Jack and Jonna and we just dug a massive hole on the beach mm. and then came back and we got a rehearsal the next day and I'd got that EMAC at the time, I remember the white EMACs mm. with Garage Band on it and mm. I remember playing in these chords and I remember playing like a sort of, uh, uh, played in the... And I just sort of, I'd laid that up and I, then I put the... Like that, because I was obsessed with octave shapes at the time because of My Chemical Romance. And it was the perfect easy lead guitar part. Played it to Jack and was like, yeah, great. And it's really interesting because I, when I played it to the rest of the band, when you go in with that mentality of going, this is just something to fill the space, this is just something to fill a gap, everyone goes, okay, and that's, you know, they treat it as such. And uh, I remember the bass lines that were written on it by Jonna were really, really interesting. And Joe had this great drum part for it where, it were, you know, he was kind of going, kind of on top of it in its full band version. And when we started to play it for people, people reacted to it in a really mm. positive way. Mm. And we were a bit like, why? This is yeah. just the B-side, right? One of the things I'm excited about is how this new version sounds similar and how, how, how it would sound, how, sound, sound different to... Uh, um, and, and that's, I suppose, a question, but, you know, in, in what ways do you think this will be different this time before we've heard it? Or so, should we just wait and hear? <laughs> well, I, I think the, the easiest way to answer that is that you will know that until... I know we haven't all met up in a long time, but whenever we've been to Jack's house, there's always been a point where two acoustic guitars have come out. Mm. And even though it's probably the only thing that Jack and I play together on the guitar anymore, and we always play it with two acoustic guitars. And that's the version that's kind of survived. Um, because I can hear Uncle Mike saying, oh, I love this song. I play on but it's unbelievable. Mm. It's just like, and that's the version that survived. So the version on this, is as if me and Jack are playing out. Oh, fantastic! Together. I'm really excited about that. And and and, and is that why you've picked why you've picked it? Or? Yeah, and also because I do have a tremendous amount of affection for this song. Hmm. It reminds me of several different times. It reminds me of 2007 and being in that band and all the fun that we had. It reminds me of hmm. revisiting it. But it's one of those songs that people say to me, "I still love that song," hmm. and. It needed to be on this record.
So, Sunflower is the first song that I have written in this house. So, I kind of started as a chorus, and Sunflower is an exercise in trying to write something simple that still makes sense and still has some meaning to it, if that makes sense. I have recently become obsessed with this idea that Paul McCartney talks about in the, when they were travelling around, the Beatles would have to write something that they'd be able to remember the next day. Because they could write the words down, but they didn't have a tape machine with them. Or my iPhone notes, because this song was ultimately born out of my iPhone notes, but Paul said that it was like the best and the worst thing to happen to the music industry, because he said, I've got thousands of ideas in my iPhone, but it isn't conducive to finishing things. So with Sunflower, what I've tried to do is write a simple song, but not simple, simple enough for me to remember the next day. So when I wrote this, I was coming back and I was playing it every single day, seeing if I could remember all the elements of it. But there's something that Jimmy Webb says about songwriting, which is that songs should be like Swiss watches, in the sense that we take them for granted in being simple in their function, but if you pay closer attention, there is exquisite detail. It's important, that exquisite detail. There's something there for the discerning listener. Mm. And I think Sunflower is like that. I think there's... it's. The lyrics are sentimental. I think it's a nice song, but ultimately it's meant to be just nice and take you somewhere else, I guess. I'm curious because, as you know, I like, I'm interested in how the mind works and things like that. So how have you written it so that you remember it? And is it, are you talking about the music or, or the lyrics? How how you... Both, both actually. Um, I think what I did with it, um, let's see if I can get the key right on this. Is I had the melody. So the first thing I did was I got the, you know, the words in the verses came second. So I had this kind of... Right, so I had that going round, okay, until I could remember it. And then the beauty of that is the lyrics come to you while you're driving in the car and the I spaces see. fill themselves out, right? Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I mean, because I'm I thinking that you're actually growing sunflowers, aren't you? You've never been interested. Alexa, stop. Sorry, say that again. Never been interested in gardening at all, and now <coughs> you're actually growing the things out here. Yeah, yeah, they and they're coming on nicely. I yeah. must admit. And you did that. I think the first year we were here, you had some, didn't you? The first summer, you had some. So, must have been inspiration. No, I didn't have them here. I've never had it. I never had any flowers with sunflowers there before. All right. Okay. These are the first. These ones are the first ones. Okay. And um, you obviously pick this one for the natural reason that it's the the first one you've written. Yeah. So again, I've I've not I've not heard that those are the first um, 
notes, chords, I've heard of this song. We're really looking forward to that one as well. Mm. isn't ringing a bell. Okay, interesting. So it's the opening track on Taking My Time. Okay. And it's all written around one line. That is how I wrote the song originally. And okay. it was, the line was, I always knew I could get to you, I just kept it as an ace to play. Yes, right? I remember it. I can't, again, again, yes. Right? And that's all I had. Yes. That chorus, if you like, was yes. all I had for that. Yes. The rest of it is based around that... I suppose that, that ties back into this idea of these, sometimes the chord, I'm hearing the chord and then that I don't, I'm not, I don't hear, yeah, I don't hear the melody until you sing. And I, that, that's always a mystery to me because how you get that melody from those chords, that, how, where does that come from? Like so that. the beautiful thing about using two chords all the way through October 9-15, it's basically just A and F sharp line, right? in as many different ways. So the intro is that. But the verse. <laughs> right? Yes. And the yes. rest of it came from writing the lyrics I before. So it's the other way around. So I had a couple of lines that I really wanted to write. And it's quite an all over the place song, this. I wrote it when we were in Moritika. Um, so I actually didn't have the guitar with me. I just had the idea of these these chords going round. So... Moritika is... Corfu. When oh, we were in Corfu, really? yeah, absolutely. Um, the place we went to together most recently. Mm. And I was sat by the pool with a notepad and I just had um, a few a few lines going round. Uh, one of the lines was, your cigarette smoke in the morning sun, I never see you get things done. I had that line and I knew it was going to kind of form the basis of certain things. Uh, and the way the syllables fall in that line, um, and I had a, I had an extra line on that with. I think the line was, um, I just see the promises that you break, and the the weird thing about this song, is that it isn't, about, anyone or anything in particular, but when I look back on it, to put it onto this, I realise that the the person, that I've written this about, isn't a very nice person. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's one of those strange things where you'd, I was writing lines. Uh, there's, there's one or two, there's that one about um, never getting things done. Um, there's also driving without your headlights on when you should. It's not a good thing to do. Uh, but all these lines just came because they kind of felt right in places. I was painting the picture of a scene of something. But it's not about anyone. Um, and I really hope it's not about anyone. It's not nice. What, why October 19th? What's the, yeah, what's October 9th, 15 is one of these things that it just fits. 
fitted into the lyric scheme. I see. So there was, it wasn't written in October. <laughs> it's, it's got nothing to do with 915. 915 is, uh, is October in the phonetic alphabet? Um, oh. It might be, actually, is it? So it could be 0915, it could be a flight number, it could yeah. be a time, it could yes. be... Um, it, Nine isn't even nine is September in it, so it doesn't it doesn't work, does it? It's not a it doesn't make any sense. But it kind of ties in a little bit. One of the interesting points that you made there when we were in Corfu on that holiday, you were in a a relaxed state, um, I think, but you didn't have <laughs> there was no guitar, no piano there, no. and so these the inspiration again it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Can you be creative? When you put yourself under pressure, clearly you can. You've done that. When you put under, can I write a song in? And you can do that. But um, sometimes these things are actually coming to you out of the blue, literally, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, uh, and this has made it onto the album because? Because, again, it was one of these songs that felt like it could be performed in that way. It Mm. could be stripped back to, you know, straight... Nice. Mm. Acoustic guitar chords. Everywhere has been one of those songs that has evolved so many times. I remember playing it with the usual ones and we're playing it with Sam. Mm. And we went to do a version of it. And because Sam and I have known each other for as long as this song has existed, he jokingly said to me, which version of it are we doing today? Because I've written so many different versions of this song. And the one that I settled on was the one that I wrote in 2017 for Mm. the usual ones. Mm. I was told in my first year of uni, that my lyric writing was not very good. And it took me four years, or rather it took my ego four years to acknowledge that that was true. They said that my music was good, but they said that the lyrics were really, really lacking. And I didn't really know what that meant, so I just carried on writing and carried on doing the same thing as I always did. And it came to a point where maybe 20... 14, 2015, when I left university, that I thought, maybe there's some truth in this. I was surrounded by a lot of great writers, people like Carl, Carl Pennison, and he's just such a fantastic lyric writer and music writer. Mm. And I knew that I could write great lyrics too. I knew I could get to that point with my writing. And I was inspired by people like him to, to kind of get to that level. So I got in touch with the lecturer who had said to me that my lyrics weren't that great. Really? Yeah, because he was one of my favourite lecturers. And I said to him, this is something that you said, what should I do? What should I read? So you'd just been, in the early days, you'd been criticised, but nobody giving you any specifics. This is what could be better about. Yeah. You just told them not, your music's good, but your lyrics aren't very good. That's a... That's not particularly good feedback, but I admire you for going back and... Yeah, and and I knew there was something that could be done, and I was recommended a book. I was recommended Jimmy Webb's book, 
on songwriting. And that is the book that totally changed my songwriting life. And I read it from cover to cover again and again and again. And it made me totally rediscover the way that I was writing lyrics. Um, little journeys within that. And the first song that I wrote with that new skill set, if you like, was You'll Love This Christmas. And I took the lyrics that I'd written for a Christmas song, a terrible Christmas song that I'd written the year before, um, called Norwe Norwegian Fir Tree, it was called. It was absolutely terrible. Um, but we thought it was really funny at the time, and it wasn't at all. The music was all right, and it was quite jazzy, and um, I took it and I rewrote it, and obviously Max and Dan performed it. And I was really proud of that. So I thought, okay, if I can take that song and do it, let's take Everywhere. This song that had started Cypher as a demo, and the, the old versions of Everywhere, again, like Unpredictable, are online. You can find them. They are out there. Totally different lyrics, totally different styles. Some of them are more like the darkness for some reason. So I took that version. I took that original version. And I thought, I'll rewrite it and I'll use this new system, this new emphasis on lyrics to change things, rewrote the melody again, and the resulting version was born. So can you allude to one or two key things that Webb uh, would recommend you do when you write the lyrics? Absolutely. Perfect example is that I, with Everywhere, I had a, um, I had to write a melody first. And the reason I had to write a melody first is because in the original versions of it, it was very, very wordy. Um, and having a melody first allows you to stick to the same amount of syllables in each verse. Right. Um, so I had that. So it imposes a discipline. On yeah, exactly. So I had that kind of. Uh, and that is the same in all the other verses. I have to fill the same space. Same with... Um... Etc. All that is the same. Chorus-wise, another big thing that he was, um, he was keen on getting writers to do is rhyme in the really good rhyming dictionary. Rhyme is a shelter for mediocrity. It's a Percy Shelley quote that. I mean, that's mm. in the book, it says. That, that, and that is going to get you through a lot of situations and it has saved me multiple times. Yeah, it has saved me multiple times, that for sure. The two two parts of this song, which I um, I, I think interest, I don't know if, if this taps into the Jimmy Webb mentality. And when I hear you playing this, I'm with my map and knowing you, I'm thinking, ah, oh, this song is about and a very specific person. But then I find myself um, playing, listening to the song in my car, and the time that it was coming out, you, you talked about it, um, the everywhere I go, I see your face, it, it becomes a very personal thing to me, just um, related to grandma. I can, I can, mm. I can see that, but, but I suppose one of the things about Jimmy, well, I don't know, is it, some of the best songs are, are songs where 
you can't quite pin them pin them down. They actually could apply to anybody at any time. They've got different meanings. Was that is that one of the? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Messages. I think there's got to be this sort of there's got to be a connection with this in a way that you can feel all the best songs are about you anyway. Hmm. I think um, <clears throat> there are songs fall into two categories like that, don't they? So like, she's always a woman isn't vague it's quite obviously about one person it's i don't know who that's about and again that's one of those songs isn't it what you think well it's not, not billy joel's song yeah it's not particularly nice person he's writing about is it um but she's always a woman is definitely about one person it couldn't mm. be about anyone mm. Mm. and there are other songs that do kind of fit that criteria i'm doing that classic thing where i can't think of any songs that do fit that criteria where you think Ah, oh, yeah, that could be about me. I, I feel mm. I feel a mm. deep connection to that. Um, I think I, maybe the second verse of American Pie is mm. is is quite a, you know the. Uh, Did you write the book of love and do you have faith in God above? That one. But what's the most important part? The. Um, and I know that you're in love with him because I saw you dancing in the gym. You both kicked off your shoes. I mean that mm. we've all felt that. That's great, yeah. you know. Yes. And that's Yeah, when you've seen somebody. You go, oh Don McLean, who's that yeah. about? Yeah. No one's interested. Yeah. That's an example okay. of show don't tell, isn't it? you can yeah. tell from that longing looking at the gym. But there's a fantastic line in in um, in everywhere mm. and it's I think it's one of your best lyrics. You know which one I mean? Just to kiss me while you wait for the lights. Yes. And why is it because that is that's universal as well. It's like mm. again that's that's a show don't tell because if you're sitting with somebody you think the world of and, and there's the moment you've got to grab their hand and or kiss them or you know, she she was doing this to you. That's a fantastic Lyric, yeah, right? and it, I think the thing that makes it sadder, that always made it sadder to me, was it's used to, isn't it? It's not. Yes, it, oh yeah. It's yeah. not. Yeah, and, so, and so what you can picture now is re being reminded that when you pull up to some traffic light and you just stop and you pause yeah. and you can look at that empty seat and just imagine and that that yeah. longing you know it, it, it is it is about i saw you dancing in the gym you know yeah. and um yeah wow yes on paper was the second song that i wrote for a song in seven days and it is still a song that I'm immensely proud of years later. It may be the best song I've ever written. It may be. The first song was New Year Still Me, and that was a bit of overtracking and stuff like that. But the second song was really me just kind of going out on a limb and doing something that I really just wanted to do. I wanted to make an 80s style love song. And on paper it is that, you know. It is built in that same way. I got all that old gear out, like the the Omaha DX7 and stuff like that, and built the sounds from it. And I wrote it to be released on Valentine's Day. So I started it early enough. I think I finished New Year Still Me. It took me, you know, seven days, because they all did, apart mm. from one or two. And I finished that late January. 
started it early February knowing that I wanted to get it finished and get it out for the 14th because it's a love song, right? Mm-hmm. But there's something about it that just worked to mm-hmm. me. And yeah, I, I, it's it's one of those songs that kind of speaks for itself in many ways, but I don't know, I'm just really proud of it. Mm-hmm. It's about that mismatch between who you think is going to be suitable on suit. In, in, on because we've all had those sort of relationships where yeah. you think on paper this person should be all right for me, but yeah, in the reality, there's a mismatch, isn't there? absolutely. Yeah, and it was obviously about using dating apps, which I yeah. was at the time. Well, that's it, the modern, yeah, modern, modern romance. There's a great book by Aziz Ansari called Modern Romance. They wrote it with a sociologist, and I read that, and it mm. was very much sort of based on that, that mm. vein, and how love and romance has changed over the years. and it's, it's a really interesting book, actually. Mm. But it's basically just about how... Um, not only that that we're talking about there, but also about how there's so much expectation on people now mm. to uh, to do things a certain way and to meet certain criteria mm. and how people can let us down in an instant by having a particular view and how perfectionist mm. we are about it. Whereas in like the 50s, the book basically alludes to the fact that both families would check the other person was not a murderer and you were good to go, basically. Mm. And that love would grow over a number of years. Mm. And that platonic love would start and you go, okay, I can tolerate this person. But the romantic love would come in time. Whereas my generation expects love to fall. I, I think, to be honest, it just comes down to the same thing that the end, you know, the end of Annie Hall, the um, man takes his bro- brother to the doctors and says... Doctor, he thinks he's a chicken. Uh, you know, my brother thinks he's a chicken. I'm really worried about him. He says, well, why don't you bring him in? And he says, oh, well, I really need the eggs. <laughs> and that's, you know, and he says, that's how I feel about about um, romance and yeah. one love that it's crazy and it's irrational, but we all do it because we need the eggs. Yes. And I think it doesn't matter whether it's the 50s style romance stuff or the modern day perfectionist romance it all comes down to that same crazy irrational stuff and I guess that's really what the song's about the first part of it came from that but after that the chorus came you know the It makes me think of um, Romeo and Juliet's in F major. Mm. Uh, Thunder Road is in F major, mm. etc. Also, um, Mother O'Reilly by the Who. What's it's interesting though is I can where when you play the the chords on the guitar. Yeah. I couldn't necessarily hear the where the melody was coming. I can hear the on-paper melody come on. Can yeah. you explain that to me musically or, or not? Is that Kind of like a big orchestra, isn't it? It's like you've got 88 keys on there. You yeah. can express it in a totally different way. In many ways, it's constricting like that because you, you kind of feel like everything has to make sense under your fingers, whereas guitar, you can think, oh, I could take that with me anywhere and I can make it work and I can hum the tune. But songs I write on here end up being very different. There's, I don't think there's any guitar apart from maybe one rhythm bit in the middle eight of the original version of, Mm. on paper in this version that I've made for this it is just me and the piano mm. and it's kind of proof that it 
works with that. There is, there's maybe one very simple piano part in the original, but there isn't actually, it's a lot of synth, isn't it? And, um, mm. and keyboards and stuff mm. like that. And it's actually pretty much driven along by it's the same harmony all the way through, if you like, but it's driven by the, the arrangement of it. Mm. Whereas it was really interesting in this version of it to take it back to its... It's the key parts mm. in it, which effectively are the piano chords. Another than it being one of your favourite songs, another reason, any other reasons why you picked it this time? I think people talk about Unpredictable and Believable, but people talk about this more. Yes. I remember when I put this out and there are <clears throat> comments on it from people who hadn't spoken to me in a long time saying, Jeff, this is really great. Mm. And we're thinking, wow, is it? Is it? I thought, I've, I've written something that's maybe a little bit out of my time. It's got the kind of like... Um, no jacket required kind of feel to it um, mm. and you know what people like about Phil don't mm. you you know there is this kind of like oh let's leave the 80s where they were kind of thing and I was like no let's get the let's get the synthesizer out and do something like that and you know I love that music but and I just did something I wanted to do when I brought out on Valentine's Day and I'd argue mm. that if you like Valentine's Day you're probably busy and people mm. people loved it so mm. here it is again This is a new one, which is called I'll Be There. Yeah. Um, so I finished this song maybe in 2017. Mm. I thought maybe, tw no, maybe 2018. I finished this a long time ago. And I've kept this under lock and key for a very, very long time. Wow. Because I've always felt that it could be one of the best songs I've ever written. Right. But I was just waiting for the right time. And there are right. so many instances in my writing, say for example, where uh, when I released on paper the reception with it being Valentine's Day and stuff like that, it fell and everything was right. It fell at the right time. And I released You've Got This in June and nobody cared. And I was really proud of that song. And regardless of what people will say and you can say oh it's just all about the writing it's all about the creativity but if the reception isn't there it mm. can be really mm. devastating whereas i've now kind of got to the point where this song's kind of cooled off a bit i've let it sit there for a few years and i'm still really pleased with it and now is the right time to release it i'm interested in that that you know when you talk about the reception one of the things that seems to be built into actors uh, when I've heard actors speak, when they go into audition, something that seems to be built into their training is a rejection. They, they build rejection into what they do. So an actor will go into an audition, even with many parts under the belt, and um, give it the best shot, but walk away and never know whether they've got the part or not. Um, and I think I can... I, I imagine there are, there are parallels with, with writing writing songs because you you can do what you think it you might the equivalent of a fantastic audition you go and do an audit and then and you never hear back yeah and and how have you have you managed to train yourself to to think um that i know this is a good song because it meets my standards or or do you do you still wait for response from other people i've played this to two people this song so far, as we're sat here, and 
there's something about this song and the way that the story goes in it that kind of makes people go, ooh, okay. And when you hear it, you'll understand what I mean. But I think there comes a little bit of litmus test in there, doesn't there? Kind of like, well, let's see what these people think. And, and you go, right, okay. But it's not just about meeting my standards, it's about the fact that this, this still now gets me emotionally creating this story and these mm -hmm. lyrics when I play it back I go oh okay yeah I, I've, I've, I've tapped into something that I love I've mm -hmm. tapped into songs that I want to hear mm -hmm. um, I, I think of um, that Peter Gabriel song Father's Son mm -hmm. what an unbelievable bit of writing that is because that will just ooh, you know it's like you know it'll get you out here mm -hmm. it, there's just something about that song that's, mm -hmm. it's beautiful yeah. and I think this gets me in the same way. And I think, right, well, if that gets me, I'm quite an emotional soul, so I'll, yeah, maybe it'll get everyone else too. The first thing that came after knowing what the premise was going to be about, because the premise, I was inspired by a song by Jimmy Webb, which is called The Worst That Could Happen, um, which is um, a song about a wedding. And this is a song about a wedding too. And right. it's quite... Worst that could happen is basically just, you know, uh, how does it go? Um, so it, and it's like, baby, if I feel like you more than me, maybe it's the best thing, baby, it's the best thing for you, but it's the worst that could happen to me. You know, it's just a, it's an, I like that, I can feel that. It's a great song. <laughs> and I thought, right, I want to write something like that. The first thing that came to me was this. Right? And that was kind of the, that's the verse melody. That was the thing that, and I thought, right, okay, now I've got that, I can write stuff around it. The chorus itself, it's really interesting, we're talking about Paul Simon, is taken from the Brahms Haydn Variations, one of my favourite pieces of classical music, which is... Um right, okay? So St Anthony Chorale, and we did it in analysis in third year. But the chorus of this song goes... It's even the same key, but I, it's and, almost like a hymn. Yeah, and, uh, the, that that part of the and I kind of think yeah. when you were saying wedding earlier, and yeah, kind of it ties ties together quite ties nicely. Yeah. So I'm going to be I'm going to be a little bit cagey about how I actually ask this because uh, these days I'm just surrounded by these these particular devices. You've got one here, so I don't know if it'll respond. So one of the, I think you've been very brave to call uh, the song um, Alexa. And no there you response. go, that is proof it's doing it. It's exactly. doing it right. There's a response, but I'm not saying, right. I'll tell you, fact, for the sake of, keep, no, no, it's really interesting this, because when I was writing it, when I was singing it, you do actually have to, it will even detect you when it's singing. I'm going to turn it off. But it does happen. This is not. It's not just you. Trust me. Um, 
There we go. It won't pick you up now. But well, maybe so, like, yeah, so when you write a song like that, it, w- it would partly that the use of that triggering word, uh, the use of Alexa, and it wanted to, to make it, it happen. Yeah, and you're right, and that is what it was. I think when I first started getting these devices, I started asking questions like, "What's the weather going to be like tomorrow?" And you know, "What's that?" And the the verses in Alexa are asking impossible questions of these personal assistants that we've now got in our home. Mm. Um, and yeah, uh, that that is the crux of where the idea for it came. Do you think that's inevitable? Do you think that as these devices learn more and more about us, and and as the artificial intelligence gets better, ultimately they might even be able to give a. Even though you might think you're asking an impossible question, mm. you think it will get to know us personally and be able to give a, an informed answer. Oh, I don't know. I really don't know. That's a good question. I kind of hope not. I think technology is great to replace a lot of things, but I don't think it can ever replace the emotional side of things. Because the the questions you'd have like that, it's some of the questions that are asked in in the lyrics of Alexa. Um, if you were to ask, you know, Alexa those questions, it would have to know a lot of information about the other people as well, and that strikes me as being quite yes, illegal, doesn't point. it? Yeah. These are age-old questions that you're asking it, and it doesn't matter whether we're asking. Uh, Alexa, or asking the Microsoft Encarta CD, mm. you know, mm. encyclopedia, or whether we're flicking through a book, we're always looking for answers to these questions. Mm. And this is the way that we ask questions now, and I'm sure something else will come along, but these are the questions that we ask about mm. romance and love and relationships. And it resonated with me because I thought, isn't it quite funny that you could actually, what, what, would, what would she say if you asked, answer these questions? And, mm. Mm. Um, and someone did actually comment saying, oh, it would be really good if you did a responses type thing to this. But the thing about it is, it doesn't matter how clever these devices get, they'll never know the answers to these things. Right. Um, and I think I actually had the... Or Alexa, can you tell me the meaning of true love? I just can't seem to find it anywhere. I had that. And then I think the just came from just kind of playing with the second half of it. But it is a verse format song. I knew I wanted that. I knew I wanted to have an old time feel. I wanted to. Mm. I wanted it to be anachronistic. That kind of. You're talking about something modern, like that, like La La Land. Can't play it, yes. but, yes. but someone, someone to watch over me yeah. because that is. Embarrassing that I can't play that, mm. but there's yeah, um, there's something about that song, isn't there? Because it mm. is literally the same thing, same verse, mm. short verse, and then you've got something that breaks it up. The uh, um, he may not be the man some girls think of as handsome, but to mm. my heart he carries the key. That bit is the middle bit of a lecture as well, just something to break it up, and then it comes back to that one you tell him please to put on some speed. Mm. Beautiful bit of writing mm. that, and it's but it's an older thing, isn't it? Mm. We love, uh, you know, don't bore us, take us to the chorus, don't we, in modern pop music. Whereas I want to do something with a bit older feeling. But the hook is the first line, it's the questions, because it's a song about 
Alexa. But, you know, that's that is that, you know, can you tell me the meaning of true love? The reason why this is on there is because in many ways this song, which I started in 2019 and finished in 2020, I released this on Valentine's Day of 2020, actually. So this is like pretty much the end of my output before now. Mm. It was the start of this thinking of, it's just me and a piano. Can I make this work mm. in its simplest form? Mm. This is the, the genesis, if you like, of mm. this record. Mm. It's the flagship the flagship mm. song and going, oh, okay. And actually this version on it is different to the version that I originally played. Not in that it's had any changes. Oh, it has had a change. This is one of the lyrics that I've changed. I changed, um, Alexa, can you tell her there hasn't been a day where thoughts of her have rarely slipped my mind because I thought it was a bit clunky. Changes the word rarely to ever because it makes sense. Where thoughts of her have ever slipped my mind makes more sense, right? Mm. Same amount of syllables, rarely mm. ever. Mm. But thoughts of her have rarely slipped my mind is kind of like mm. it's actually a bit of a like, oh, we've come all this way and they rarely, okay? Whereas ever is pretty it's definite. Solid, yes. Yeah, and that is one of the looks that I've changed. But mm. other than that, it's, mm. it's pretty much it's a different version, but it's the same mm. way. It's me and a piano. I think there's a bit of bass on it as well, just to kind of mm. make. Um, some of the things a bit more solid in those mm. middle sections so far, just to make it slightly different to the original. The, these Streets was written about Edinburgh and it was specifically written with this premise that places are about people and that if you go to somewhere that previously was filled with people that you love and there isn't anyone there it's not the same um, and it's had some interesting readings over the years this song and when I first released it in a in a way the comment section of this song became a uh, um, what's the right word um, like like an obituary section of a newspaper People were writing, I heard this and I thought of this person. Total strangers, just... Really? Yeah, just filling it with things like that and missing this person. And um, I didn't write it from a grief perspective. I wrote it from this idea that I was in Edinburgh. Mm. And I obviously did a whole vlog episode on this. Mm. I wrote it and it was quite difficult to be there and not... And just be visiting and not mm. be with the same people I was and thinking, oh, you know what? Yeah, we can go and have a milkshake in this place. We can go and sit in this bar. Mm. Um, you know, that's where the line, this glass of 16 year told me that I'd find mm. here. Mm. But you know where to be found. I was stood in a queue with Will waiting for a show. And we'd just been for a drink in the Albanac. We'd just been for a, a whiskey. And we were kind of like, this is great, and this is really tasty whiskey, but it's just the two of us, and there were, we, we were with other people before, mm. and it mm. hasn't got the same energy. And I just remember walking around, and, and but also there's also an element of it, like this is a sister song to This City, on, mm. on Here of All Places. Mm. And that kind of alludes to the same thing, but that was specifically written about the Fringe Festival and the few days mm. that me, Sam and Will were stuck in Edinburgh waiting to get a lift back and they were kind of dismantling the festival and it was like having your soul ripped out of you mm. because Edinburgh's a beautiful city, but it was all these things that we were used to, all the places we were sitting and 
having drinks and having a laugh and they were kind of taking it away and it, it was very odd and and people who we were with were being taken away if you like that sounds very dramatic but they were like being you know people were going home and it was just left the three of us and we were like oh wow this really does feel different to a week ago uh, and this song is about that and about being in one of those places again and revisiting it and it's quite interesting though because there's that universality of what you're saying where people I think will connect with going yeah this feels different because certain people aren't there anymore but I'm just I'm just in mind of something that happened just over a week ago when you went back to Oxford. Yeah. And we were sitting in that pub. Yeah. And you were you were thinking this place is different. I'm just expecting um, Sam to come round the corner because this is where I would have sat and had a pint. Yeah. And you find out that he's actually that there, hundred yards away. You know. Yeah. I mean that was in a pub that way. But, but again, it's um, it brings back this idea that I suppose that. Although those people aren't there, they never kind of leave us, do they? Mm-hmm. They're, they're there, and I can imagine that why people would—not uh, that you were treating it as an obituary, but more of a, a sense of—I was there with quite a lot of people at that time, and that time has gone. And yeah. Edinburgh might be in in the during the fringe; it might be as full as it ever was. Mm. But those people that were there, that combination of people, would be never there again, and uh, that can make, it makes us all feel sentimental can't it oh absolutely it does and i think that's the sentimentality of that song is 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 written into the music isn't it there's that kind of the thing that um that pedal that's where it all is and then because it's actually there all the way. pedal there it's just a, something about that that kind of pulls it into this emotional space mm. this feels like it puts more emphasis on the lyrics on telling that story mm. and yeah it, whereas on paper is, is quite similar as well in terms of its full arrangement without the words on there are those kind of emotional mm. undercurrents there and this does have a, it has a different emotional undercurrent mm. because it's about the story it puts the emphasis back on the lyrics rather than the production which I think really is what all of this is about. It's mm. about if you take away everything else, mm. what are you left with? Mm. Mm. You know, and this is mm. this. I think is what you're left with. Like distilling it. Down. Yeah. Right. You, you talked earlier that the, the about you're already onto new things. What what what's coming next? I'm going to do something quite different, but I will carry with me my mentality of this. Right. This kind of raw stripped back stuff there might be a, a fuller band involved there might be more electric guitar involved but there will be this sense of not being as much of a perfectionist mm. and just going what's what can we take this down to if it's going to be a full band song what's the bare minimum we can have in here to make it work mm. can it be performed live does it 
can we make it resonate with people? Can I make it resonate with myself, most importantly? Because that's I write the songs for myself, first and foremost. Mm. I write songs that I love. I write the kind of things that I would listen to. Yeah. That's, that's really what it's always been about yeah. for me. Yes. And I think yeah. I look at those four albums that are behind you. I've got Here of All Places, Revolver, mm. Welcome Into State Managers and Hamilton. And I think those four albums are important to me for four reasons. Here of All Places, Work With Your Friends, Revolver, always be on the cusp of something great because that's what Revolver is. Revolver is them saying, here we go, here's our statement of intent, this is where we're going. Welcome Into State Managers is an album that could have easily been 13, 14 singles. There's no weak link on that album. And Hamilton is make sure that someone tells your story. If you Mm. don't tell your story, nobody will. Mm. And that's what it reminds me. And I think of all of these songs that I've written and I think about how my friends have been involved, how some of them are statements of intention and and how these are my best songs, I think. But Mm. also how I'm telling different people's stories and those are things that I will take into my work going forward regardless of what genre I work in fantastic thank you no thank you Dad. it's been great to talk to you I think that yeah. you, somebody who understands where I've come from but well, also I, yeah I'm, I, the bit that I'm always keen on is that you do you continue to do this because I think mm. I think you're really really good at it and I, I'm you, know, you mentioned Hamilton because I'm 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 a lover of musicals and the the thought of seeing another musical whether that be one of the the plays with music that you've you've done or whether it's the whole you know enchilada I, I mean whatever you do that would be I'm looking forward to those as well if they could. Yeah, I think, but don't forget that all these little songs that I write are little stories in themselves. Yes, yeah. yeah. I always come back to that, though. You know I always come back to musicals. You know I always come back to telling stories through music. Mm. And mm. people have said that, that my songs have a story-like quality to them. But, mm. um, you you know, you've got to do something with it, haven't you? You've got to mm. tell a story with a song or make a point with it. Mm. Those are the, you know, mm. Mm. those are the two main things to me. Mm. And when people are reaching out to you about these songs, I mean, you talked about some songs where the response has been surprising to you. How do, how do people actually get in touch with you and tell you about them? Well, the thing is, that's, that's what the Tea Break Club is for, isn't it? That's, that's really my closer community around my music that I'm trying to build. Mm. And that is really what it's about, having these discussions. And people who've watched this will have got to see this and got to see it because they're members of the Tea Break Club. Mm. And they've got that interest mm. in, in mm. how these things are made. But also knowing that they can shape the way that this music's made. That's what I was wondering, can they influence what Of course they can, and everybody influences. These things don't happen without the T-Ray Club. They don't happen without the community around mm. the music. There's Without the community, the music doesn't exist, does it? Can you give an example of where somebody's actually influenced you? Then? Yeah, absolutely. From... I think of... I mean, there are far too many instances to mention individual people, but I think the way that people have said, oh, have you thought about writing a song like this? Or, oh, I like the way that you've done that. Why don't you take that and make it more stripped down? And it comes from these these musical family conversations. Mm, and, mm. and there are so many people within that sphere who really, like, incredibly support mm. the stuff that I do. Mm. And I, I take that and I, I use it and I, it fuels me and it makes me want to make more stuff. Mm. And that's really what it's about. It's about mm. the longevity, how long I can... Stay in this game, you know. Yes, what is it? As uh, Sam Sinek would say, it's, it's an about infinite, the... It's an infinite, the game. infinite game. You've got to stay in it, that's it. <laughs> Great stuff. But no, thank you for talking to me. I, I really appreciate it. I think 
You're welcome. Um, I've, no, I, it's, I've really enjoyed that myself. Thank good. you. Good. Well, shall we have a veggie sausage sandwich then? Ooh, like a go. hot dog. Yeah, like a hot dog. Yeah, let it go. And I'm, now you're talking. Let it go. <laughs> Speaking your language. Right. <laughs> so there you go. That is the conversation in its entirety. I really hope you've enjoyed that. And I really hope you've enjoyed this flagship podcast. I can't think of any other way to say that other than flagship. It's something that people used to say about big shops, isn't it? Like Woolworths, the flagship Woolworths. Anyway, yes. So if you've made it this far, thank you very much for listening and look out for episode two. I will see you on our next tea break.